this morning. It's great to have you here with us at Grace Church. And uh, man, we welcome you here. We're so thankful that you can be here with us this morning. We pray that you are greatly blessed and encouraged. We pray that you walk out of here having uh, grown in your faith, having been challenged, and uh, having uh, experienced the, the presence of God in your life. Um, <clears throat> sweet. Thanks, Keith. There it is. All right. Today we're going to be in Esther um, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. So feel free to turn there. If you don't have your Bibles with you, we're going to have the verses up on the screen. But uh, <clears throat> we continue the story of Esther today. And, and uh, once again, Esther chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And so far throughout this story, we've seen that God is always in control. Even though things may seem out of control, God is always in control. Always. We've seen that God pursues His people, even though they may be far from Him. If you remember Mordecai and Esther, they, they should have been back in Jerusalem, but they stayed in Persia. And, but God pursues His people, even though they are far from Him. So wherever you're at in your life, man, I am far from God. I don't have any connection with God. I'm, I don't even know if God exists. He's pursuing you. We saw Mordecai. Uh, excuse me. We've, we've seen that none of us are perfect, including the heroes in the Bible. We, we saw Mordecai cower in fear, and he was not leading his family well. He was rebellious. He didn't go back to Jerusalem when he should have. But God was transforming his life. We saw Mordecai stand up to the evil ruler Haman. God was transforming this guy that was passive, that was timid, that was scared. Remember, he commanded his adopted daughter, Esther, not to tell anyone that they were Jews because he was afraid for his life. He, he wasn't a man of courage. He wasn't uh, a man that stood up for what was right. He was afraid. He was cowardly. But yet God was transforming him. And finally, it got to the point where he had enough. He had enough with injustice and he stood up to the evil ruler, Haman. And with great determination and courage. We also saw Mordecai change in the fact that instead of commanding his adopted daughter to keep silent about her uh, ethnicity, he instead inspired her with the famous words. He said, maybe, Esther, maybe you were created for such a time as this. Mordecai is now fighting against the genocide that has been declared on his people. We also saw a timid and shy, a, direct, a directionless woman named Esther. Everyone else made decisions for her. Her beauty is what helped her get into the position of queen where she had all the comforts, all the riches, all the security she could possibly want. She was being pulled into ignorance because of all the comforts and riches and security. We were challenged last week not to be so consumed, Americans. Don't be so consumed with the good life that we forget the called life. But God was transforming Esther as well. You see, a lot of us, we, we approach the Scriptures with a very religious mentality. We look at Mordecai and we look at Esther and we kind of paint this picture that they can do no wrong. 
It's not true. These people are humans just like us. They're battling their flesh just like you and I are battling. God was transforming Esther. And through the inspiration of her adopted father, Mordecai, she chose to do something about the evil that was about to be unleashed on her people. She chose to go before King Xerxes, even though she could lose her life for doing so. She goes from being indecisive and timid to being courageous and brave. The transformation came only from God. Just because you have a history, listen, just because you have a history of bad decisions or you have a history of of being passive or you feel like you're in this place that you haven't led your family well, it doesn't mean that you can't change. You can change. You can leave a new legacy. You can blaze a new path. You can start a new trail in the name of Jesus Christ. We're watching right here in this story. As this story unfolds, we're watching two great examples in the life of Mordecai and Esther of life change and life transformation. That's what our God is all about, is life transformation, life change. And as we pick up the story today, you have to understand that evil and danger is still swarming, is all around. And a decree has been passed, a decree that can't be changed even by Xerxes himself. A decree has been passed into law. And the decree calls for the death, the massacre of all the Jews in Persia. So we're a couple months away from that deadline, uh, the, the deadline to slaughter all the Jews. And so the question I want to ask is, what's God going to do? Have you, have you ever faced a situation in your life where it's like, what? how am I going to get through this? How are we going to pay this bill? How are we going to um, help this child? How, how in the world are we going to do this? And it seems helpless and it seems like it's just, I can't, I can't do it. I mean, this is the fit situation the Jews were facing. The situation seems impossible. So what's God going to do? Today, we're going to look at two big ideas in the message today. Uh, two different paths paths that you can travel, the path of pride or the path of humility. So let's pick up the story in verse 1 of Esther chapter 6. It says, on that night, the king, speaking of King Xerxes, could not sleep. Let me stop here and let me remind this church that God is in control. Okay, is this just a coincidence that Xerxes couldn't sleep on this night? I don't think so. This isn't a coincidence. God is working in the background. God is making Xerxes have a restless night. It's the Lord at work here. So on that night, the king couldn't sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds and the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found, written, how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. So he has this restless night. They bring the books that uh, tell the, the history of, of his uh, kingship. And he hears the story of Mordecai. Like Mordecai is about to die at the hands of Haman. Yet here in God's precise timing, we see King Xerxes reading the story about how Mordecai saved his life. 
And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? What have we done to honor this man? And the king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So if you save the king's life, something good should happen to you, right? Would you agree? You should get some money, nice house. Something should happen to you. All of a sudden, we see the wheels begin to turn in Xerxes' mind. And he begins to think, this man saved my life and we haven't done a thing for him? I need to do something to honor this man. He's thinking, I should have done something for that man. He saved my life. And this sets in motion a series of decisions that will save Mordecai's life. Church, let me, let me just encourage you. Don't let circumstances determine your faith. I mean, Mordecai was facing death. He was, I mean, hours away from being impaled. He was facing death. His circumstances were awful, but his faith was strong. Don't let the circumstances of your life determine your faith. The circumstances haven't been good for Mordecai. He and his people are staring death right in the face. But God hasn't forgotten about him. God hasn't forsaken him. So, so in those moments of doubt, in those moments of fear, in those moments of concern or flat-out confusion, I encourage you, in those moments, pray. You, you don't want to pray in those moments. I've been there. But pray anyways. In those moments, trust. You don't want to trust in those moments. But trust anyways. And follow. You don't want to follow in those moments. But follow anyway. God's at work in your life. He's working in your life. Even if you can't see Him. This is the godless book. God is not even mentioned in this book. But God is all over it. He's working in the background. God is at work in your life. I haven't seen Him. He's at work in your life. He's working in the background. The Scripture says that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. God is good. Satan has done a masterful job of painting him to be the bad guy. But God is good. And He is in control and you can trust Him because He's trustworthy and because He's good. Verse 4. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman, okay, this is the guy. Haman is the guy that wants to kill all of God's people. So Haman is a picture of pride. He represents pride because he's, he's full of himself. So it goes on to say, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged or impaled on the gallows that he had prepared for him. God, God's precise timing. Okay? This is that's the message I want you to get. God is precise in his timing. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in. Okay, Haman's walking in. You can see kind of he's got a little arrogance about him, and he's ready to convince Xerxes to put Mordecai to death. And the king said to him, Haman, what what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom, 
He's thinking in his mind. That's what the scripture's talking about. Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Yes, this is the moment I've been waiting for. The pride is just oozing out of Haman. And Haman said to the king, okay, because Haman's been thinking about this. He already knows what he wants because he's been dreaming of the day that Xerxes is going to honor him for all to see. So Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let the royal robes be brought which the king has worn. So he says, King, let him wear your robe and the horse that the king has ridden. So Haman says, King, let him ride your horse and on whose head a royal crown is set. Can can you see the picture here? Haman wants to be king. He wants to be the top dog. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Okay, if we could get a sound bite from Haman's heart, this is what it's saying. I want to have a parade for me. I want to have a parade. And I want to be high and lifted up. And I want to hear people cheering, Amen, Amen, Amen. Me. It's all about me. Let it all be done for me. Ah, Haman's excited. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry. I know, I'm I'm ready for this parade. Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai. Right? His head, like the bobblehead, or his head's just spinning. It's pronounced Haman. Did you just say, like, it's not Mordecai, it's Haman. And do so, so to Mordecai. And this is like icing on the cake. To Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. He says, leave out nothing that you have mentioned. This is awesome. Like God has such a great sense of humor. This is awesome. So Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai. Now imagine that interaction. Mordecai is the man who has not bowed down to Haman. He stood in defiance to this evil man. And now, Haman has to dress Mordecai. I don't know exactly how that works, if it's some of his servants, but you can imagine with me that Haman has given him some evil eyes, and Mordecai, I'm sure, has a few smirks for Haman. It's like, this is fun. So Haman took the robes and the horse and dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. Now remember, it doesn't share much about what his emotions are going through or what he's thinking. I can only imagine that Mordecai was thinking, That was weird, but cool. That was awesome. But I believe that Mordecai is really focused. Because there's a decree that is still passed 
that is still going to happen. His people are going to be slaughtered, including himself. So I just happen to believe that Mordecai is like, man, that was, that was crazy cool, but he's, he's, his mind is thinking about more important things. He's focused. A lot of work still needs to be done. But then the Scripture says, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. <laughs> That's so good. Haman is a picture of pride. Haman is a picture of pride. Haman is proud, so God opposed him. The Scripture says in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16:18 says, "Pride goes before destruction, and a haughtiness or pride before a fall." The power of God and the pride of man cannot coexist. Can not. And it's only when we submit, it's only when we surrender that we see the power of God come to life. It's only when we submit, it's only when we surrender that we see the power of God come to life in our lives. In ancient times, in the Old Testament, the priest of the tabernacle, he was able to see the Shekinah glory of God. It was a visible manifestation of God's presence. And it was in the Holy of Holies. It was in the in section of the tabernacle. But in order for the priest to go into the Holy of Holies, he first had to offer a sacrifice in the outer court. The blood from that sacrifice gave him admission into the presence of God. And it was a picture of a life that existed no more. It's a beautiful picture for us, church. It's the same with us. We must be willing to lay down our lives. We have to surrender. Pride has to die or we dare not enter into the presence of God. Pride has to die before we can make an impact. If you think that you're going to go strutting into the kingdom of God, that you're going to go strutting to the cross... That God's just, man, He's going to say, I'm, I accept you because you're so amazing and so cool. You're crazy. It's not true. It's a lie. Straight from the pits of hell. You have to come to the presence of God broken and humble and repentant. Verses 13 and 14. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Remember last week he was bragging. Now he's like telling a different story. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. 
Haman wants to be like Xerxes. He wants to be king. And it's the wrong king. His focus is for the wrong king. His king, Xerxes, is proud. He's not humble. His king doesn't love people. He uses people. His king loves his own glory, not the glory of God. His king would never get off his throne to save his people. So church, I have to ask you, who is your king? Who are you trying to be like? Who do you desire to follow? Who do you look up to and idolize? If his name isn't Jesus, you have the wrong king. The way of pride always leads to death. But there is another way. Okay, so this morning, let's consider the path of humility. Remember in the beginning of the story, Mordecai was passive. He was unwilling to stand up for what's right. He, was, he even commanded his adopted daughter not to tell anyone they were Jewish because he feared for his life. But the thing you need to know about our God is this. Our God is a redeemer. He is a redeemer. He takes our brokenness. He takes our failures. He takes our mistakes. And He makes beauty out of ashes. Our God is a redeemer. We see transformation take place in the life of Mordecai. Mordecai gets to the point where he just can't take the injustice anymore. He just can't stand it anymore. He can't take the injustice, so he stands up to the injustice. Mordecai is a picture of humility. Mordecai is humble, so God lifts him up. Remember, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mordecai also seeks the well-being of the whole culture. Let me, let me just encourage this church, think about this with me, okay? He's not just focused on himself and his people. He's focused on the whole culture. If you remember, he saved the life of a pagan king. A king from a different religion. A different race. A different culture. Yet Mordecai serves this king by saving his life. Ah, it's a hard one to wrap our minds around, right? I mean, if maybe, maybe if Xerxes gets assassinated, you know, everything changes. Ah, he saved his life. It's a great example for us as Christians. We live in a non-Christian culture. So many of us, we have bosses who don't love Jesus. Oftentimes we have leaders and presidents and governors and professors who don't love or serve the God of the Bible. Some of us have spouses who don't follow Jesus. Mordecai sets the example by serving King Xerxes. That's a hard one to swallow. I I admit, that's a hard one to understand. He seeks the well-being of the whole culture, not just himself or his people, And I believe we should have the same heart. It doesn't matter if it's in business or in education or finance or real estate or in ministry or in the home. Mordecai, like Jesus, was for the well-being of the whole culture, not just his race. That is the heart 
of our God. The Scripture says, God so loved, say it with me, the world. Not America. The world. Not just you and your family. The world. Not just your race. The world. As a matter of fact, Matthew twenty twenty eight says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give His life a ransom for many. That's Jesus Christ. Serving, being a servant, is probably the closest we can get to the heart of God. Jesus was a servant. The Apostle Paul, he used a Greek word for servant in the New Testament that is awesome. It's incredible. And it paints a beautiful picture of what it truly means to be a servant. Paul, in the the New Testament, he used the Greek word hupretes which means under oarsman. Okay, so the picture that the Apostle Paul was painting gives reference to ancient warships that were propelled or moved forward by uh, muscular men chained to their oars below deck. They're just rowing away, rowing away. That's the word that Paul uses for servant. No one saw their hard work below deck. No one smelled the blood or the sweat. No one saw the tears or the struggle, the strain. In their part of the ship, you could hear the groaning men just laboring away at the oars. Just rowing. Just rowing. Just rowing. Just rowing. It's not like the upper deck. The cool breeze the sunlit, the smell of the wind across the ocean. No, those below deck are the ones who are unseen, the ones who are without applause, the ones who are dying to self. At the Or Church, one learns how to pray. At the Or, priorities are established. At the Or, Spiritual values are clarified. Self-centeredness dies at the oar. This is the killing ground of our ego. Pride perishes at the oar. So let me ask you just a personal question. Are you the one above deck demanding your way? Or are you below deck, at the oar, just moving the ship forward? You know, the difference between you and those who were actually slaves in those ancient warships is you willingly chain yourself to the oar. And you willingly start to work for the kingdom of God. Man, it's crazy, isn't it? It's a crazy thought. But you know what? It's a godly thought. 
First Peter five six, uh, five six rather says, so humble yourselves. Or another way to say it is, intentionally bring yourself low. Intentionally bring yourself below the deck. Under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Intentionally humble yourself. Can I just be honest with you, church? I hate this message. I hate it. I don't like this teaching at all. My flesh resists it. I don't, I don't want this. Come on, man. I want us to be sitting on the deck, looking at the ocean, sipping on a nice drink. I won't let, let you know what that drink is. But to intentionally go below deck and chain myself to an oar to propel the ship forward? No thank you. No thanks. This is, man, this is so foreign to our way of thinking. It's, it's so foreign. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord. Intentionality, once again, intentionally humbling yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up in honor. Here's the hard truth, and I'm going to say it as, as gently as I can. The pride of man and the glory of God cannot coexist. I've already stated that. But here's where it gets real. You either intentionally humble yourself before Him in this life, or He will humble you in the next. God opposes the proud. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to watch a video that tells the story of a man named James. He's a man that was estranged from his family due to, to some bad decisions, many mistakes that he made in his life. He had a, an addiction to heroin. And due to God's providence, he, uh, James gets connected to uh, the Union Rescue Mission in downtown Los Angeles. And his life is transformed. My brother lives in downtown L.A. He, too, has, has done some work with Union Rescue Mission. And, man, they are doing a great work there, just reaching out to those that need Jesus Christ. But this is a beautiful story of redemption and surrender. And, and this man, James, he realizes that he has to humble himself before God can lift him up. And so I just want you to watch this video. I pray, I've been praying that it blesses you, that it ministers to you. Um, so check out this video, the story of James. How long has it been since you've seen your family? Ooh, uh, close to 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. What's been the hesitancy? Because I've met, messed up so many times before. You know, they've heard me say sorry a thousand times. I'm originally from Korea. My family and I moved here when I was six years old. 
In my culture, the family name means a lot. There's expectations attached to it. I brought a lot of shame to my family because I didn't uphold those expectations. I had a heroin addiction for over 20 years. The consequences are tremendous. I ended up alone on the street and I lost my family. Father God, thank you for waking us up this morning, cleaning us over in our right minds. Thank you for this food we are about to eat. Bless your hands, prepare it in Jesus' name. Amen. I live here at the Union Rescue Mission, a place to recover your soul and transform your life. I've been here for the past year and a half. Having this trust in God was really tough. I came to the realization of having to surrender. That's what he intended for me. Because of my pride and wanting to be in control, he had to humble me. You only feel his grace and his love for you when you surrender to him. This mission, this ministry exists to advance the kingdom of God. We want to follow the master. We want to be a part of the kingdom. Forgiveness is a part of the redemption. Restoration is a part of the process. That's why we're here. Forgiveness is a word to me that was foreign in the sense that I had asked for forgiveness numerous times from my family. But in all reality, I wasn't able to forgive myself for what I've done. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be in the kingdom, you need to come to terms with the work of forgiveness in your own heart. Don't do any of this alone. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. I'm realizing that community is necessary. We have to be in relationships. We have to answer the hard questions. That's how we grow. So your brother sent you a friend request on Facebook. Why has that been sitting in your inbox for a month and you haven't responded? And I put all contact in for trying to reconnect with my family because I was, I always felt like I needed to bring something to the table, you know, but I'm not held by those expectations anymore. Why are you ready now? What's different about today? I feel like, you know, his friend request is telling me they're ready to forgive, or I say they. Um, he symbolizes my family right now. And you're ready. I'm ready to make it happen, <laughs> or let it happen. Amen. Amen. Since you've seen a picture of your dad. Oh, it's 
Paris. You don't have a picture of him? You don't keep pictures of your family? No, I lost everything. That, um, mm. And it was easier to deal with not having any uh, reminders, you know. I wasted a lot of time. Too long. I would like to make amends with all of them, you know, if possible. But with God, I feel like everything's going to be okay, no matter what. This whole past year and a half is like a whole new life. God has slowly been restoring me. I relied on heroin to be the answer to everything. Now, I leave it to God. I'm just a lost child that, you know, has come to realize and trust in God. That's it. I believe uh, humility can be summed up in one word, and that's surrender. Uh, surrender to the Lord. That's my encouragement to you this morning. Surrender to Him. Trust Him. Follow Him. And I, I would say this too. If you just watched this video and your first thought was, I don't struggle with drugs. I've never had a, an addiction to heroin. I'm, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. If those were your thoughts, you need to repent of pride. And you need to quickly take active steps to humble yourself. Because the worst form of pride is religious arrogance. It's the worst. So I'm going to finish this morning, and I I, I just want to finish with with a challenge, with some practical considerations, some thoughts on how you can intentionally humble yourself. Um, And I'm not going to read the verses on your outline there for the sake of time, but just seven ideas that I'm expressing to you on how you can intentionally humble yourself before the Lord and before others. So let's just quickly go through that. Number one, I encourage you to confess your sin to God. It has to start there. Just admitting that you're not perfect, admitting that you can't do it on your own. Start by acknowledging your sinfulness um, to, to God. Number two, acknowledge your sin to others. Okay, We all need community. We saw that on the video. We need one another. You can't do this alone. That's why the model of our church is, you know, we want you to be in this large group, but we want to get smaller. From here, we want to encourage you to get into small groups. And then in our small groups, we're trying to encourage you to, to have those Peter, James, and John relationships uh, to where you have uh, one or two brothers or sisters in, in your life that are really challenging you. You need to acknowledge your sin to others. Number three, uh, submit to authorities in your life. So I, I would just ask you, who's, who's speaking into your life? And are you willing to serve those who are over you? Man, that's tough, isn't it? Number four, um, invite those who can't repay you. I, if you're going to read any of these verses, I, I, I ask you to read Luke um, on point number four here, the verses that are right next to point number four, because Jesus throws down a serious challenge to us. And you've got to read those verses. And he says to invite and to show kindness to those who you know can't pay you back. Man, it's a serious challenge. And it's a great way to intentionally humble yourself. It's easy to show love to your friends or to business colleagues because you know you're probably going to get something back. But to show love or kindness to someone 
who you know isn't going to give you anything in return, that's, that's a whole nother level. Number five, offer forgiveness. Like we saw in the video, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to forgive yourself. Um, so offer forgiveness to others and then getting to a place where you can even forgive yourself. Number six, uh, commit to speak well of others. You want to walk in humility? Um, control your tongue. Many of us cut others down uh, to make ourselves feel or to look better. But man, could you imagine if we all just made a commitment to speak well of others? That's a great way to walk in humility. Don't speak ill of people. Don't cut people down to make yourself better. Just, just speak well of them. Think of something, right? Even if you can't think of something, just keep your mouth shut. Number seven, stay focused on the gospel. So, so when it gets difficult, look to Jesus as your example um, and just stay focused on Him, follow Him. He's the one that set, set uh, uh, the path for us to follow. So church, in closing, the reality is, is God cannot fill people who are already full of themselves. So if you're already full of yourself, man, God has no room to come in. So you have to empty yourself to be filled with God. So humble yourself and be set free from the death grip of pride. I'm going to invite the band on stage this morning. And as they're making their way up, we're going to sing a song. And and, and some of the words to the song, it says, Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. There's hope for the hopeless. And grace is poured out on those who are willing to humble themselves. I know this probably wasn't the most enjoyable message. But man, if we take this to heart and we put this into practice i believe it'll do more to transform your life personally and it'll do more to transform our church and it'll do more to transform our community than anything else ever could let's walk in humility church let's intentionally humble ourselves before god let me close in prayer father god we know that the scripture says that there will be a day where everyone bends their knee to you god i pray those here today would willingly bend their knee and they would do it in this life for salvation. They would do it in this life for surrender. And I I pray they would take the opportunity that Haman didn't take. I pray they would humbly ask you to be their God and they would surrender their lives to you this morning. Help us to continually be more and more like you, Jesus. And I pray that more and more throughout Grace Church, throughout Plata County, we would hear stories of redemption, stories of transformation, stories of life change. And it would all point back to you, Jesus. Help us to be more and more like you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.